this week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Pat is back from Estonia. Charlie Ragusa was named NCBS commissioner and then immediately went to Birmingham with the Haudenosaunee. Team Canada dominates at the World Games. Las Vegas gets their first roster players and the PLL is back for week six. All that and more on OTCB. I am an My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh wow. Flair right down the middle, shoots and he scores! Find me on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. He is at Pete Greggy, the show at OTCB underscore podcast, or we're on the Insta at OTCB podcast. Uh, it has been a while. Uh, last time we chatted, we were halfway through NLL awards. And then uh, my esteemed co-host decided to up and leave for Estonia without telling anybody. <laughs> he was just gone. It was a was like, super, super secret meeting. Super Teddy. secret getaway. And I was like, so what are we uh, talking about this week? And then I see a post. He's in Estonia. Okay, guess we're not doing a podcast for the next little while. Um, but it was a nice little break. Um, let's obviously catch up. How the heck is Estonia, Patty? Estonia and most uh, specifically Tallinn, uh, the capital of Estonia. It is a sneaky, sneaky, beautiful, and very interesting city. Um, so basically to give the folks kind of a, a a reason why no i was not vacationing in estonia for 10 days uh i was there uh cool bet um their national headquarters or international headquarters i should say is in estonia uh so i was there for some training i uh i am now the uh interim country manager for cool bet canada thank you very much teddy um yeah so uh, had to do some training. Had to meet some people. Shake, shake, uh, shake some babies. I was just <laughs> shake some hands, kiss some babies, uh, learn some more of the operational side of of things with the business. But uh, I'm back home, uh, and it went from like uh, like lacrosse hour, kind of in like a little bit of a lull to like I've been back home for not even a week now, and I think almost every single week. I've either been watching lacrosse, calling lacrosse, or talking it with someone. Like now we're in the full swing of summer, and it's even an exciting time in the NLL with the expansion draft just happening too. 
Yeah, and free agency's coming up uh, in, what, like 10 days? Uh, we got a lot to sort of catch up on. Um, are you a better better now because you've um, got all the inside sources? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm I'm still a fish. That's one thing that I I, I learned. If you're if you're a good good better, you're a shark. Yeah. If you're uh, a dummy like me, you're a fish. So. Right, so a couple of fishes here on this <laughs> podcast, and we'll see how we do when we get to our box bets a little later on. We'll speak with Charlie Ragusa, uh, newly named commissioner of the NCBS, a little bit later on. But um, some things that we missed over the last few weeks. Um, MVP was Dane Smith. He won that over Joey Rez and Matt Vince. Uh, the all-star team or the all-pro teams were announced. Everything was pretty straightforward with that. Jeff Teat won Rookie of the Year. But the big news was the expansion draft of the Las Vegas Desert Dogs. And we had talked about our lists uh, the week before. I think maybe between us, we got most of them. Uh, there were obviously a few maybe question marks or ones that we didn't see coming um, that we got wrong, but let's kind of quickly go through them and then the trades. Um, so Jackson Ishimura from Albany, Connor Fields from the Bandits, Riley Hutchcraft from the Rock, John Wagner from the Wings, Landon Kells from the Roughnecks, Brett McIntyre from the Mammoth, Connor Curse from the Swarm, James Barclay from the Thunderbirds, Ty Thompson from the Riptide, Jack Hanna, from Panther City, Jackson Subak, Philadelphia, Frank Shiliano, San Diego, Jeff Cornwall from the Rush, and Tyson Rowe from the Vancouver Warriors. And if you just had those 14 guys, it's a pretty decent start. But as we always see in these expansion drafts, there are, you know, predetermined trades. So as Sean Williams is compiling his list of guys that he's, you know, thinking about picking, he was also on the phone with a lot of other GMs trying to wheel some deals and say, hey, we're going to take this guy. We want to flip him to you. What can you give us? And he made four pretty significant trades. They flipped Connor Fields, Riley Hutchcraft, the first overall pick in the 2022 draft to the Nighthawks in exchange for Charlie Bertrand, the second overall pick, the 74th overall pick, and the 91st pick, plus... Rochester's first round pick in the 2023 draft. So that was sort of the first blockbuster. Then they flipped Brett McIntyre back to Colorado in exchange for Sam Firth and Eric Turner. They flipped Frank Chiliano back to San Diego for Mark Lassini, Brandon Cullen, the 26th overall pick and their third round selection in 2023. And then finally they flipped Jeff Cornwall to Calgary in exchange for Marshall King, the 18th overall pick or end the 18th overall pick in this year's draft. So they've gotten the second round pick. They get Sam Firth, Eric Turner, Mark Lassini, Brandon Cullen, the 26th overall pick, Marshall King, and the 18th overall pick. Sean Williams had an excellent first draft. It was clinical. Uh, what he was able to do. And we had a feeling that he was going to be, pretty good at this with his previous relationships with a lot of the GMs around the league, but mm -hmm. he came in with a bang and he made it pretty clear that he thinks this team's going to be competitive right out the gate because the, the vote of confidence to get rid of the first overall pick in this 
yeah. year's draft is remarkable considering some of the names that will be discussed near the top, which he knows quite well from, you know, it's, it's looking like it might be, you know, a, an Ontario based guy going first overall, but you know, he, he decides instead why do that? Why not get Charlie Bertrand who yeah. is a proven commodity right now? And he can play next year. The yeah. draft pick that he would select in this year's draft probably is going back to school. So, you know, he goes out and I just love what he's done with this roster. Um, you know, we won't go into absolutely everything, but um, off the hop, you know, for me of the trades, like Marshall King and this mm. trade just it's 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 aging like fine wine because what Marshall King's doing right now in the WLA yeah. is remarkable. Yeah. Um, so everyone knew, yeah, Marshall King's a great player, uh, but is he Jesse King? Well, he might not be Jesse King, but he's pretty damn good. And I think yeah. he's going to have a great year. Uh, Landon Kells, you and I both had him uh, penciled in on our draft. And I think, again, another pick that's starting to look better and better, him playing with Peterborough. He's a guy that is ready to you know, at least have a chance to be a starter. Is he going to be a starter? The one thing that surprised me, and even though I didn't take a second goalie in my mock, I was kind of surprised that, yeah, technically you took Hutch, but there's only one goalie on that roster, which yeah. that tells me that either A, he's very confident in Landon Kells being able to be a starter, or B, there's another fish out in the pond that he's willing to go out and grab, and that makes things all the more interesting. I, I think it's column A, column B. I think he probably has a lot of confidence in landing Kells, and I think he is going to be very active in free agency. Mm-hmm. I don't know which direction they're going to go. I'm sure, like many Western teams, they're going to be kicking tires on Justin Getty really, really hard. Yes. Um, which would make a ton of sense. And I had Justin Getty originally on my list. Then we found out, you know, a couple days before that he was actually considered a street free agent because he ended the season on the practice roster. So he was unable to be drafted. So that kind of maybe helped them. But I, I do agree, whether it's in goal or elsewhere in his offense, Sean Williams and the Desert Dogs are going to be heavy players this first year in free agency. And, and it I, would not surprise me if they land some pretty big fish. 1000%. I think the way that this draft went, um, you, you said those two positions, I think he's going to go out and, and get some big names on offense and maybe another name on, uh, on, you know, in between the pipes, because if yeah. you look right now, I mean, their defense certainly not set, but it is big def- back already. <laughs> it's serviceable. Uh, just Rose, looking at it right Dubach, now, Barkley, um, Wagner, Nishimura. Nishimura, plus they get Eric Turner, Brandon Clellan, like that's, that's a pretty solid defense to start. Yeah. Clellan and Glassini aren't the biggest, but all of those other guys are, you know, six, one, six, two and above two twenty. Like that's a solid, solid defensive core in front of landing Kells. You can fill some yeah. holes here and there. Obviously, you're going to draft a few guys. I think their biggest concern in free agency would be goalie and out the front door, but I think there's a lot of talent out there for them to go after. So it'll be very interesting, and we'll talk a lot of free agency next week uh, as we get towards August 1st. But I, 
overall, if you are new to the NLL and you're a fan in Vegas and you're just hopping on the Desert Dogs train, uh, you should be very excited about what your general manager and head coach has done so far. And I could not be more pleased with, well, I, the the pick of Connor Kirst, I think, yeah. is an absolute no-brainer. Then we'll talk more about it with, with Charlie, um, our guest. But this is a prime example how important it is that we see more growth with Americans playing box across. Because if you look mm-hmm. at the roster, Charlie Bertrand, Connor Kirst, um, Jack Hanna, Mark Lassini, like there are already proven U.S. box yep. players on this roster. And I know for sure come draft day, there's going to be three or four added and probably in free agency. And how do you grow the game in Vegas? Well, it'd be great. Obviously, the the, the fans are going to fall in love with certain players regardless. Um, but for the kids that are already playing the game of lacrosse, they need guys to see that, oh my goodness, like this guy's from wherever. I can one day become this guy. He's an American guy that, you know, he never played box when he was growing up, but he's now playing. It's, you know, they need those 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 role models to look up and, and it can't just be, you know, a bunch of guys from Ontario and BC that they might not be able yeah. to relate to. So Agreed. Um, NLL.com slash news slash transactions. Um, leading up to free agency, a lot of teams are qualifying their RFAs. They're signing some franchise tags. So um, head, over, head over to the transaction page to see what some of the teams are doing right now um, as we get closer and closer to August 1st. Like I said, next weekend we'll do a deep dive into free agency and, and just talk about some of the bigger names that are out there and, and you know the ones that will be receiving the most attention uh, before you went to estonia unfortunately your iron heads fell to the gales so the road to the founders no longer goes through Ironhead territory yeah it was unfortunate uh just you know we go out in three but you know two games are by one goal yeah. uh, game threes by two goals with an empty netter and you know it hurts losing to a team like the green gales they're obviously a bitter rival um, but you know, they, they were the better, better team in the series and just, you know, we kind of couldn't, couldn't score a couple bad injuries here and there. And it just, it just comes down to sometimes it's just not your year, even though you yeah. think it might be, and it kind of makes it a little bit better. And maybe this is just me, um, being a little bit of a cold blooded here, but to see them go out pretty quickly, <laughs> that makes it feel a little bit better. <laughs> I, trust me. Now, I know that I know that. Because it's like, if they were to go to the the founders, then you're thinking to yourself, God damn it, that could have been us. But Aquasosny beats them. And man, I know we're going to get a little bit more of a summer update uh, a little bit later here. But from an Ontario standpoint, like when you look at Junior B, Senior B, and Junior A, a little bit different with, with major series. But with those leagues right now, there's a handful of teams in both leagues that legitimately could win a provincial title and go on to win a national championship. And I don't know if it's because of the COVID layoff, right? but it's just for, for whatever reason, there hasn't been one or two dominant teams. There's been a ton of great, great squads. So who's left in Ontario junior B. So the far East is dominating right now on the East division with the Nepean Knights 
and the Aquasasne Indians, yep. uh, two division rivals facing off. And then on the West, you have Alora and Windsor, who basically um, from start to finish have been the two best teams in the West. So, so uh, no surprises there. Down to four. Down to four. Uh, and I believe the series begin this this weekend. And, well, they def- do definitely this weekend. Go or just one? Just the, the one team, Brampton. So it's not like Junior A. Brampton is the host city of, of the Minto, whereas yeah. in the Founders, it's actually the Brampton Excelsiors who are hosting. So they have an automatic bid, um, which is a right, very right, unique right, situation right, 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 because right, right. they miss playoffs. Yeah. It's going to be like, like almost – 70 odd days since the last time they've played a game um, yeah. leading up to founders. So something interesting there uh, to say the least. Um, and How's Minto? Your update? okay. Up, we'll stay let's, with founders. Yeah, stay uh, with we are, uh, we are off to the finals out West against Coquitlam. We beat Burnaby in two, had to go to double overtime in game two, um, which was as a coach, you can probably relate very, very stressful. Yes. Um, First overtime was 10 minutes non-sudden death. Nobody scores. So we go to second overtime, which is sudden death, and we get a very fortunate reset call, and our top scorer is right in front, found a loose ball and buried it to, to win it. So uh, we advanced. Um, I thought Coquitlam and Nanaimo was going to be a better series, but I think Nanaimo ran into some uh, health issues and some injury problems, so Coquitlam beat them two straight. So we are with our old rivals uh, starting Saturday. Um, sounds, it was supposed to be, if it was going to be us and Nanaimo, it sounded like it was going to be like a best of seven. And then because it's mainland island, they were going to go best of five. But now it sounds like we're literally just going to do a best of three, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday to get it over with. Oh, wow. Um, so we'll have a winner um, either Sunday or next Saturday. Uh, then the winner of that will supposedly have to play uh, the winner of the Interior League, which most likely I think is going to be um, Kamloops. Uh, they seem to be the dominant team up there. And then the winner of that series will go to Founders. So we're a few weeks away from figuring out who's coming out from the West, but uh, it's going to be a good battle all the way down to the end. Obviously, Rocky Mountain League is still going. The FNLA is still going. So we won't know teams heading to the Founders for a few more weeks, but that goes August 15th. So the 21st and right after that is the Minto. Um, it's uh, out West Victoria's up two nothing on Coquitlam. They can end it on Saturday. And in the other series, Langley's up two nothing on Nanaimo, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, and that series uh, goes on Saturday as well. So uh, the West final could be decided as soon as Saturday. What's going on out East in junior A? Junior A is heating up and I, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to get inside the booth for, for playoffs. I didn't call any yeah. regular season. Great job game. last night, by the way. Thank you very much. It was awesome to be back with the lacrosse boss, Matt Carrick. I, I did a solo game on Sunday for Whitby. That was, that was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a Whitby man. Uh, they're, they are a, a great team that coached by Sean Williams, um, they're, they're a team that has a lot of talent up front offensively, but their defense and goaltending is like super, super underrated. So they punch their ticket. They're in, um, Burlington shocked the world and knocked off Mimico yeah. three straight. And that was the first time since the fifties. Yeah. That was crazy. Um, when I saw that stat, 
Tucka tweeted that out and said it's the first time since the 50s that we've seen an eight seed knock off the number one seed. And the first in a sweep, time in a sweep, in a sweep. I think that's the sweep. Yeah. yes, in a sweep. And the last time we saw a number one seed go down to a number eight seed was the Toronto Beaches back in 2018. And who are the beaches playing next round? The Burlington Chiefs. Wow, I love it. The Beaches knocked off Peterborough last night to, to yeah. punch their ticket in the second round. And while this is, you know, you're, this is in your ears, um, you'll know what the outcome is. But when we're recording, um, this isn't live. Just a nope, little bit of a spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> we do have to record this. Um, but no, in all seriousness, game five, Oakville against uh, Orangeville. That's at the track. This Orangeville team, man, they are pesky. They are young. Yeah. We know how well coached they are. But this isn't your traditional Orangeville wagon. Like, this is a team that has had a lot of growing pains, but it almost seems like the winning culture uh, that most Northmen teams have has now been injected in this team. And, like, w- would it not be crazy for this team now to go on a run, knock off right. a team like Oakville? Um, they'll play Whippy, whoever is the winner. We'll play Whitby in the next round. So the fi- the final four, as it stands, is Beach, Burlington, Oakville, or Orangeville, and Whitby. And the caveat here, if the, whoever wins the next series. Yeah, two teams goes, go, right? Two teams go. So it's yeah. an Ontario final, best two out of three. Doesn't matter, though, who wins. I mean, it does obviously matter. Sure. Um but they're both in. And then there's yeah. going to be a little bit of a break uh, because of the U21 slash 22s, the Worlds. Um, so there will be a break. Guys will come back. And uh, next thing you know, the, the Minto and Brampton is going to be here. And honestly, Teddy, there's some really, really cool things in the work. It's at the old Powerade Center. Uh, but oh, some- where I played my first man cup. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's at, it's now called the CAA center. Um, nice. They've done some renovations, uh, new scoreboard. Uh, I, I assume they have to have new turf because they took that old Powerade turf and, and stuffed it into the Brampton Memorial center and had to cut oh. it. So right, yeah. is there I'm air sure conditioning in there yet. There is not in the mem, not in the mem, definitely not in the mem, but in, in the Powerade center, I do believe there's air conditioning tickets are already on sale. You can get a tournament package, the whole nine yards. And then of course, JBI, uh, the fine folks will be streaming all the games. Um, but uh, I know for the final series, there's some, some pretty cool things that possibly could happen for the finals. Um, founders and Minto pretty much back to back in Brampton. So if you are in that area, there is going to be some high level junior lacrosse coming your way at the end of August. Obviously the man cup is the big one that goes Labor Day weekend. It'll be out East in Ontario. Um, they're getting down to their nitty gritty in the MSL, obviously out West in the WLA. They're getting down near the end, only a few more weeks than that. So we will update you next week as we get closer and closer to the playoffs in senior a, uh, before we get to Charlie Ragusa, Last week was the World Games down in Birmingham, Alabama, and really the true debut of men's international and women's international sixes. And in the men's division, Canadians dominated. There wasn't a close game to be found. In the women's game, it was a little closer, and that final game between the Canadians and the American women 
was absolutely outstanding. But I think it just goes to show that when the Canadians want to, with no long poles and no boards and a shortened field, it's just a different game for us. And I'm not bragging, I'm not boasting, but it was just a pure clinic put on by everybody in red and white. And we weren't necessarily surprised, um, but it's just this game was 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 built for box lacrosse players, and yeah. Can- Canada sent their best roster. Like that team was an absolute wagon. They had great coaches, um, Brody Merrill. And John Grant Jr. did a phenomenal job game planning. Um, but, you know, if Team USA sends, like, a, a little bit of a stronger roster, I think it's a lot closer. But yeah. at the end of the day, I still think Canada is the heavy favorites the next time we see this discipline. Now, to actually go off on the, on the discipline here, I know there have been a lot of people who have been vocal and basically saying they don't like it, they want box cross, they want this and that. Say what you will. We're not getting box across in the Olympics. We're no. not getting field across in the Olympics. No. This is sixes. Deal with it. It is yeah. what we're going to have. It's, it's staying. It's not going anywhere. So what we can do, and hopefully what those who are the decision makers can do, is find better ways to make this a better game. Mm-hmm. Make the goals a little bit smaller. Yeah, um, I can see that. Five by so five, maybe? Maybe a five by five net. Like, find different ways to make this game, you know, a little more consumable for the traditional lacrosse fan. But at the end of the day, it is not for the traditional lacrosse fan. It is for John, who has never seen a lacrosse game in his life, that's going to flip on the Olympics and watch. What's going to be entertaining? A ton of back-and-forth lacrosse. It's also for the country in... Europe or in Africa or in South America, pick any of those countries that are trying to pick up the game of lacrosse. How hard would it be for them to field a roster of 20 people? Yeah. How hard would it be for them to buy boards and make a box or take ice out in a hockey arena or put turf down? That is next to impossible for some of these developing federations that are not getting funding from their government or from whatever body that we have in North America. It is also the fact that the IOC has said we cannot have 20 players plus staff coming into the Olympic village. It just is not going to work. So sixes is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Can we fix it? Can we make things better? 1000%. But we need to just stop shitting on sixes and saying we want box cross or we want just traditional field cross because it ain't happening instead of just saying what's so wrong with the game let's find out what has worked well and then pick things that we can fix yeah i you know i this was my first real experience of watching sixes and i was thoroughly impressed with just the pace of the game i loved it it was back and forth it was up and down like you said there's no face off after goals it's just quick restarts I think some of the ticky-tack calls can be cleaned up. And I know in the women's game, they don't wear helmets and, and things like that. So the whistles are a little more frequent. I'd like to, fi- I would like them to maybe find a way to speed that up a little bit, yep. but the, the quality of play was outstanding. But the fact that 
the Japanese played such a dominant role, not dominant, yeah, had a pretty dominant role. Um, you know, Israel and Australia and Germany and Great Britain and, and all these other countries that aren't your big three are finally, you know, really have an opportunity to compete now because mm -hmm. it is more about speed and being able to finish and you don't have the dominant American long poles and Canadian long poles and the Holden showing long poles. It's just all about flat out speed. And if you can develop that sort of game, I think some of these countries are going to have a lot of success. And I think it will become that much more enticing for players to play in because they see how much more fun it is, less contact back and forth, intense lacrosse. And I thought, it was an outstanding job. Yes, they had some technical difficulties, um, which was so lacrosse that it wasn't even funny um, at the start of the World Games, but they got it figured out. They got the games on. They got them played, and it was absolutely outstanding. Congratulations to both the Canadian men's and women's team for an absolutely outstanding job. There's a great podcast on Inside the Cross with Terrence Foy, who has John Grant Jr. and Dana Doby on just talking about the experience and the dominance of the Canadian teams. Uh, I highly recommend you go listen to it. It's, it's a fantastic listen. Um, maybe one of the side stories of the whole sixes and world games was the appearance of the Haudenosaunee and everything that happened almost two years ago to the day of team Ireland saying, you know what? It is wrong. The Haudenosaunee aren't there. They can have our spot. And it was one of the most selfless things we've ever seen in the world of lacrosse. And it may not have been the best showing from the Haudenosaunee, but it was more than just results. It was about being there and walking in with their flag on an international stage that was really the caveat and the big factor in them being on this stage. And one of the people behind the scenes that had a major impact in everything that happened was Charlie Bergusa. He's been with the Haudenosaunee program for the last three or four years, does a ton of work behind the scenes for a lot of lacrosse organizations, but he's also just been named the commissioner of the National Collegiate Box Series. We talk with Chuck about indoors and outdoors and sixes and a whole lot more right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is the new commissioner maybe one day the NLL commissioner, but currently the NCBS commissioner. He's also media guru for the Haudenosaunee, for the Halifax Thunderbirds, and Lucky Penny Media. He is Charlie Ragusa. Pal, how are you? Good, Ted. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great. Pat, you want to say hi to your friend Chuck? Chucky, how's it going, buddy? Good. A little uh, <laughs> a little tired waiting for you, but we're, we're here on the call. Cold okay, here we go. Here we go. That's is a busy, busy man. Indeed. You've been a busy man yourself. Uh, you were just down in Birmingham with the Haudenosaunee at the World Games. What was the experience like for you, just you know, from uh, an outside perspective? I honestly, I think this was probably one of the most rewarding experiences in sports that I've ever had. Um, you know, it's almost two years to the day now where kind of news started coming out of the Haudenosaunee not being invited to the world games and kind of the world responding to that news. Um, you know, Terry Foy was down there and it was just kind of nice recapping everything in, in the timeline with him. And it, and it really came full circle. Right. And 
you know, so being at the opening ceremony and, and seeing those guys being able to carry their flag in, you know, not only just for representing lacrosse, but, you know, this was the first time the Haudenosaunee, you know, were able to compete in a, in a non-lacrosse specific event at the world stage. So, you know, you, you're going to look back on this, I think, and, and realize just how impactful that moment was and, and just seeing some of the tweets come across and, you know, being with the guys and telling and hearing the stories that they were saying, like, you know, people texting them from their hometowns pretty much in tears, like just, you know, and, and as an American and you guys as Canadians, like we kind of take it for granted. We see our flags, we see, we hear our anthems, you know, at every award ceremony. So, you know, but it's crazy to think that that's not the case for everybody. And so to kind of be there and see just how excited these guys were and passionate and just proud to wear their colors and, and, and play for their communities. It was, it was amazing. I noticed um, maybe like a day before, maybe a couple days into the tournament that there was a post that you guys were sort of moving away from the Iroquois name and becoming more Haudenosaunee. Can you kind of explain the the background into that decision and, and, and what it means for the Haudenosaunee people? Yeah, I think it's just kind of, you know, another step towards reclaiming their their true identity and not that colonial, you know, kind of handed down, this is what you are, this is who you should be. And, you know, Iroquois in, in French means uh, snake eater or snake, you know, it's it's kind of derogatory. And, and you know, it, it took me a long time to even know that. So, mm-hmm. you know, just saying that word now kind of just feels dirty and you know, because they don't tell you that that sort of stuff. You don't necessarily hear that. It's not right at, you know, your fingertips until someone kind of tells you and educates you. And I think that's, you know, this is a really good step for, you know, them as, as a unified nation kind of being able to reclaim that identity that, that they are in, in their true selves. That moment walking out, obviously, um, a special special moment not just you mentioned already for the athletes but uh, uh the people back home seeing it what, what was it like for you you know you're a part of the team and, and you're there to capture it like what was that moment for 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 you like being someone kind of looking on the outside in? and I, i'm reluctant to say on the outside in because you're a part of the team but at the same time you, you know you're there to capture that moment uh for the haudenosaunee people I think during in the moment of kind of walking out, it was more focused on just, you know, making sure just because of the historical moment of it, right? Like getting the right photos, getting everything that you possibly could in that brief moment of time, because you could never get it back. So I don't think I realized the gravity of it until I kind of sat in the chair and I'm just looking around. And, you know, I was texting Terrilyn Fern, another person that, you know, was so instrumental in, in this moment, you know, and just bringing things together you know, her and I were kind of texting back and forth during it. And just, I, I, man, I was getting choked up, honestly, like, and then, you know, obviously non related to us, but they, you know, the Ukrainian athletes walk in and the entire place has a standing ovation. Like, it just was a very special night. And, and I, I just, you know, again, I, it's one of those nights that you kind of just think about briefly here and that there. And, and it felt kind of surreal, again, like just two years of these back and forths and navigating this and, and trying to, you know, make sure that they were available or accepted in these games. And then finally they are, it was just a really, really special kind of, you know, closure to that chapter, I think. 
I know a lot of people who go to these major Nash international events um, always talk about the, the athletes village and the camaraderie between the other athletes. Did you get to experience much of that? Cause I know you weren't there, you know, for a long time, but did you guys sort of experience kind of that international flavor of, of seeing different athletes and different sports and people from all over the world? Yeah, it was just, it was really cool. It's funny to think we were in Birmingham, Alabama, because right. you're walking around, you see people wearing their, you know, the colors of their country and you see, you know, a bunch of bodybuilders somewhere. And then you see a bunch of guys that are wearing, I don't know, like Columbia this or whatever, like just, just seeing people walking around so prideful of their countries um, was really cool. And, and we were actually staying at the hotel um, where most, most of the staffs were. Um, the players and and then like a select amount of coaches and staff could be actually in the Olympic village. But, you know, it was just cool kind of when we would pick up the players or drop them off, seeing like out in the courtyard teams stretching and warming up and doing whatever. It just, I don't know. It, it kind of took away that like toxicity feeling in the world and just kind of made it feel like everybody, everything was okay a little bit. You know, I, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but in a way it's just like, you know, even those opening ceremonies, like it kind of just was a distraction from, you know, everything that's going on in our world today. Was there any chatter around, um, you know, the grounds of the the World Games about lacrosse? Because who cares, honestly, and I'm sure we'll get into it at some point in this podcast or this conversation about what, uh, you know, you and I and Teddy and, and what the lacrosse purists think of sixes, because that's not what it's for. It's to grow the game and it's to put it on a more accessible um, spotlight uh, for other nations to see. Was there any chatter from, you know, other fans of other games or other athletes about what they saw with the game of lacrosse and what their thoughts were? There was a lot of eagerness, I think, to see lacrosse. Like I think down there, it really kind of isn't something that you see firsthand. And, you know, I had family that live in, just outside of Alabama and on, on the Mississippi border, you know, and, and they were super excited to, to go ahead and kind of watch and tune in and see the coverage on the news. Um, you know, so it was kind of like an eye-opening experience. And, you know, a lot of the volunteers were saying the same thing. They were just excited to see it for the first time. And for them, that's, that's what lacrosse is that, you know, that's their first taste is sixes. And, you know, regardless of what you feel about it or what you think, like, they were exposed to the sport and and that's going to be something that they remember. So, you know, and then you kind of talked about it a little bit. I think when Pete was on with you guys, he kind of said it right. Like, you know, what is the right form of lacrosse, right? Like I think sixes is kind of that hybrid of field and box. And, you know, you and I, Pat, we talked about this, like the, t- the couple teams that really were going to be impacted by sixes the most were, was going to be, you know, Japan, Australia, and, and Israel. And what, what three teams, you know, besides Germany really kind of stepped up and, and it proved that that was the case. You know, mm-hmm. it obviously sucked seeing our guys lose to Japan. And I know that they felt that to their core. Um, but, you know, just the way that they won it with grace and were so appreciative of the game and, you know, we're getting autographs and just photos with the players afterwards, like, there was a, a huge respect level there that I think was just, it was kind of in a sense, beautiful for, you know, when you take a look at what lacrosse should be and what it's supposed to be. 
So it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, man, I'm pissed that you just beat me, but how could I even be mad at you? You know? Yeah. So it, it, it was nice to see. And, you know, I, I think the sport itself, like, if we're going to grow internationally, like this is the way to do it. And, you know, you can, again, we could say what we like, what we don't like about it. I, I think there's so many that pros and cons of it, but I think accessibility to your point is the biggest key and, you know, shortening rosters. So enough player, you could feel the team that that's going to be huge for these emerging nations. Pat and I, before you came on, we we're just talking about the dominance of the Canadian men's and women's and, and, the showcase that they put on and obviously like you said japan australia israel all these teams took major steps but what do you feel is the lasting impact of lacrosse sixes for the first time on the sort of international olympic stage as we push towards la 28 i think again i think visibility of it i think you know getting eyeballs on in front of the sport. And I think it's going to, you know, it's perfect timing too. I think the NLL had probably its greatest season that I can remember in terms of accessibility and visibility and just pure entertainment. You know, PLL is doing a phenomenal job with everything that they're doing, you know, now coupled with women's lacrosse, you know, being on ESPN and the rise of Charlotte North and some of these superstars, you know, and then you have the college game, which I, I think this year was, absolutely a fantastic year so all at every single level now including at the international level you have this visibility and and the accessibility to see it and and i think it's going to stick out in people's brains and and kind of really just set the tone for growth i think you know we haven't even scratched the surface in the states at least of you know the midwest and in the south so if we can break into those markets you know that it's it's game over then if you you start getting these basketball players and these football players that are going division one you put a stick in their hand it's it's going to be kind of scary the growth of this thing and how how fast we start growing it but you know just as it relates to la 2028 you know i think you know being on american soil and kind of getting that first taste and and i think it became a reality for people you know the athletes involved the coaches involved i think this was kind of that realization that like we're almost there and we have to put on a good product and do whatever we can and and i think everybody is you know i don't i wouldn't say that anybody's not but i I, that reality kind of came true a little bit for for this event um before we get to the ncbs this just kind of popped in my head um next month is the u19 or u21s uh in limerick ireland are the haudenosaunee sending a team to that yep uh we'll be heading out i think the 8th through the 20th. So I know there's a ton of different, um, you know, meet and greets and different things we're doing with, you know, the Irish team and Irish lacrosse association and things like that. So, you know, just as a give back, like how, how do you repay someone that did such a generous act? And I, I think it's just perfect timing and, and the right place to be is in Limerick. Like it, it's going to be a really, really awesome time. I think. Uh, I wanted, I wanted actually, that that was going to be my next question. The, the relationship and that bond now that you'll have with Ireland, um, it's the, the impact, like you said, how how can you ever repay? And, um, just what, what is the relationship like with, with, with Ireland lacrosse? And you couldn't have written it any better that now the future of 
you know, the Haudenosaunee are going over to the nation that allowed the stars of the current game um, to, to go on the biggest stage that the game of lacrosse has ever seen. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of those things that kind of transcends time a little bit. Like, I think there's always going to be that knowledge of, you know, what that country and what that team did to help help out. You know, you, you always talk about allyship and, and what that means. And, and that's the truest form of it is stepping in when something doesn't seem right or doesn't feel right, you know, despite making a hard decision for yourself. I think that level of selflessness or, you know, selflessness is just astounding. But, you know, then you just even think back to, you know, the potato famine and the relationship and how it was born there. Like, it's just a really, really beautiful relationship and, and friendship. And, you know, it's it, it makes you feel good a little bit in a time where obviously, again, talking about it, like with everything going on in the world, it's kind of nice to see these acts of kindness kind of pop up. The You mentioned the growth of the game. And one of the areas in the United States that the growth is starting to shine is in the box. And, you know, it really started with U.S. Box uh, over a decade ago. And to where it is now um, with the hubs that are playing box across in the U.S., uh, it is a perfect time for the National Collegiate Box Series to kind of go to the next level. Um, And congratulations on being named their commissioner. Uh, Will you rule with an iron fist? uh no i i'm a a little bit of a softy but no you're right though you hit the nail on the head you know i it's this is an experience that's kind of come full circle for me um when i was in rochester i started doing the camson academies and clinics with joe walters and you know then it was brad gillies and myself and I, i remember getting on those first calls i think we were, it was with Minnesota at the time when they were still there, just talking about their, the model that they had, you know, they had such a successful youth, youth program, um, in league up in Minnesota, we really wanted to kind of mirror what they were doing there and and figure out how we could, you know, and then we had registered with us Boxla, and, you know, that was when Gillies came up with like a five-year plan for basically these junior Nighthawks program, um, you know, competing in the junior NLL and year five, they ended up winning. So it's like, it's really awesome to see that when you have the right people in the right markets and kids that are willing to do it, the, the growth and how fast it can come, you know, because they're already athletic lacrosse players. They just mm-hmm. have to kind of learn the different concepts of how to play. And, you know, I, I think the unfortunate part is for, you know, some of these hotbeds, you know, Rochester, Baltimore, Long Island, there's so many kids competing for scholarships that, you know, club directors kind of don't, necessarily want kids to play box lacrosse if if they don't have to if it's not in their program and that's what we went up with early on and i think now that the stigma is kind of going away that you don't need it because college coaches are very adamant that hey we are looking at kids that have box experience like we want that um so i think that is also helping it but you know what from the ground up like from you know novice all the way up to now college in the states there's options and there wasn't options before and you know it's a testament not only to Shaden and matt brown and the u.s box of the crew but to the club directors for willing to kind of venture into the unknown a little bit and figure out ways to educate their players and get them the right coaching you know because you see a lot of programs where these club directors are like listen i don't know how to 
teach this game or play this game, mm -hmm. but they'll find the resources and the players that had and, you know, NLL guys around the country that kind of settled in to markets and use their expertise. So it's really good to see that sort of like willingness to kind of get it done by any means. And, and, you know, where, where the NCBS was pre pandemic, maybe three years ago to where it is now, the competition is so much better. It's faster. It's, and it's almost like a different style of box. Like mm. you know, watching some of those OJ games, you know, it's a little bit more calm and collected and kind of, you know, waiting, waiting to settle an offense and things like that. The, the U S box, like the NCBS games are a little bit more run and gun and, you know, no part of the floor is safe for them. It's, it's, almost <laughs> like, it's it really is kind of like a war on the floor, but you know, these kids at nationals, like they were laying it out there the entire game on and off the floor. There was nobody jogging. There was nobody walking like every single player, every single shift was just <laughs> like all, all gas, no breaks. So, you know, I, I think it was really awesome to kind of see just the differences and just, but even the, just the skill level and the growth. And then you take a look at some of these other kids that are playing in it, right? Like Jake Govett and, um, you know, Luke Pilcher last year for the Armory and some of these Canadian guys, I think it's a good assimilation of like, you know, the Canadian style play with the American style play. And I think that kind of elevates all the rest of the players to like, you, you kind of build your team around some of these, these really good players and these athletes. So it's only a matter of time. And I, I think as we kind of grow and, and that's obviously the, the goal is to get more kids playing, but I think, you know, the next step too is tr trying to find the right markets to get into and trying to find areas that you can justify saying, okay, well, there's five or six universities within X amount of drive. How do we get this thing going? Who do we partner with on the ground to really get this going? You mentioned, just the growth of, of of this this league and or the 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 NCBS the series uh, of leagues across the nation. You come into a, a an interesting point because usually when someone takes over as a commissioner, um, usually the league maybe isn't in the best shape. Whereas you're taking over a league that's really starting to thrive and really starting to take off. Uh, what is you mentioned obviously where's the next step and getting more players, but is there another Avenue or a part of the game that you're looking at right now in this league that you want to focus on, or is it really just where's the next step and how do we get more talented American kids playing inside the box? I think it's, I think there's a couple of different points. You know, I think there's still some shyness or fear from some field players to, you know, step in the box. And I, I, I think that's more at the professional level, but, you know, college as well, right? Like, you know, I think there's American guys that are pros and, and, you know, knowing that they're going to step in to something that they're not skilled with, you know, I think they realize that it might hurt their value in their market marketability. They, they're not willing to kind of take a step back. You know, you, you listen to Joe Walters talk about, about it and he says it flat out. He stunk when he started playing but he was humble about it and he took the, the time to go up to Brampton and play and, and go through those growing pains to, to crack a roster, you know, so you get, have to give credit to the guys like that, that are willing to kind of understand that, Hey, I'm not going to be the best at this, but if I'm going to be serious about it and I want to get better, I know I have to work my tail off. And, you know, there's other guys and, and not 
to disrespect or, or poke fun at, but I just think they, you know, they know where they're at and they're fine with being able to play the field game and, and that they're content with that, you know, and I think at this, you know, at the college level, it, it can be a little bit that way, but I think, you know, the opportunity knowing that the NLL is growing and knowing that it's expanding, it's enticing to them because it's, you're, you're kind of getting in a stock before it's, you know, at, at an all time high. And, you know, one area that it's kind of a no brainer that needs to be developed is us goaltending. And, it'll be very exciting to see where that kind of growth comes in the next couple of years as these kids have really aged through from the novice level all the way up and, and graduate through NCBS. Like, you know, I'll just use him as an example because he's a Rochester kid that was with us from Pee Wee or, or Bantam up. And now he's playing in NCBS as Will, Will Dempsey. You know, he's yeah. anywhere there's a game going on, anywhere there's an opportunity, he's there. You know, and it wouldn't be possible without his mom, who's, you know, driving kids all over the place just to get opportunities. And, you know, that's that's what we need is we need these kids that are super passionate about it and just want to play. Um, but, you know, Dallas Elliott and I, have, we've had kind of different conversations about goaltending and, you know, how do we get kids to hop in there is, you know, I, I think in everybody's mind, they think, oh, just find a hockey goalie and throw them in that, you know, that's the easiest solution. But I don't know if it's that. And, you know, that we've even talked about catchers, like doing catchers drills in baseball, like the rebound control and things like that. Yeah. Like, you know, how do we almost translate this to an American kid that understands maybe baseball or, or, or something else? And then, you know, say, okay, we'll stand here like this and, and absorb shots and direct where the ball is going. So, you know, there's a lot of different theories and, and ideas and how to grow it. But I think, eventually it's just going to kind of naturally take its course and we're going to see that explosion. That's a really interesting point when you bring that up, because it, it is a lot about blocking like, and, right. and, and angles and rebound control, like you said, whereas hockey goalie, you're, you know, you're reacting to a shot with your, your glove hand or your blocker or, you know, whereas it, it is all about blocking. So I've never really thought of it that way. Um, and, and I guess that's why you're the big commission with the big ideas, <laughs> trying to figure ways how to develop. Um, Teddy, I know you want to pop in here, but I, as it's on top of mind, yeah. um, you mentioned coaching and it's important to have coaches, you know, those Canadian guys that have grown up with the game that are still playing. Is it a thought that maybe, you know, you guys need to reach out to some of these American players that are playing you know, in the National Lacrosse League. So, you know, a kid from Rochester or a kid from, you know, San Diego is looking and seeing an American guy that hasn't played in Orangeville his whole life and was growing up with it, uh, that it's, you know, it's possible for an American guy to, you know, work his way up into the National League. I think it, absolutely. I You know, you take a look at Blaze Reardon, you take a look at some of these prominent American guys that are kind of doing it all and, and succeeding at both levels. Like, you, you, you know, Connor Fields is another example. I think, you know, in Buffalo now in Rochester, like in that upstate area, there's a lot of kids that are going to look at someone like that and say, you know what, I can do that too. Um, you know, and, and right before you got on Pat, you know, Teddy and I were kind of talking about this is, you know, what I noticed last year at the draft was, you know, those later rounds, you started seeing more and more American kids. And I started seeing kids yeah. that I recognize their names from the NCBS. And it was awesome to see that because it's like, you know, the tides are turning a little bit that we're going to give an, an opportunity to these American kids, you know, who's, who are athletes, um, you know, like a Charlie Bertrand, like coming in and just absolutely 
tearing it up with the Nighthawks, you know, that those are the type of kids I think that are going to play a huge impact is the ones that might not have played box, you know, will succeed a little bit, but then kind of asking them, Hey, like, what, what would you change? And I think a lot of them would say, I wish I played it, you know, at a younger age, or I wish I would. Mm -hmm. So I think it's those kind of testimonials there. I think, you know, that coupled with college coaches and their testimonials about what they're looking for in recruits. I think it's, you know, there's a bunch of different avenues in it and it's all playing into the favor of getting the box and play. Um, but you know, to the point of these guys getting drafted, I think it's, it's powerful too, because you could easily take some of these Canadian kids that have box experience. They might not be the best and, and whatever, but you're kind of passing them up for projects because everybody's starting to realize like we need to start getting some of these guys in our system. We need to start growing this. We really need to start getting these athletes. And when you can find them, you know, it, it's, it's a diamond in the rough. Like, you know, Jacob Patterson, second in scoring at sixes for Haudenosaunee. He was playing in San Diego, U.S. and the NCBS. For the, that was the first time he's ever played box. Three-time All-American in high school. Like, you know, just absolutely tearing it up. Like, that's a guy that should be on a roster. So I think it's one of those things where it's like you're going to start discovering these diamonds in the rough um, with guys that just want to play. Colton Marquis, remember the name. Colton Marquis. Colton Marquis, Trey Deer, both junior yeah. night hall. Um, you mentioned the, the partnerships. Um, obviously, the NLL and, and U.S. Boxla have been working together for a few years. Um, how do you want to continue that partnership and, and make it grow? Because obviously, that's a, a huge issue for you guys. Uh, yeah, we've had good conversations with Brian Lemon and, you know, just figuring out different ways that we can, you know, work together. And, and I think it's as simple as, you know, at nationals, there's NLL coaches, alumni, sons of coaches, sons of management everywhere. You know, you can't go more than 20 feet without seeing somebody, you know, seeing Callum Crawford coaching a team and seeing, you know, Kevin Crowley coaching his, uh, his girls team up from BC, like, you know, Jeff Teets there, Sean Evans on the bench in San Diego, you have Cam Holding in Westburg. You know, I, it's, it's such an exciting experience experience and what other sport are you going to get that? So that just that like intimacy of being able to be around the best athletes in the world and get the experience from them firsthand, you know, these kids are set up for success. If, if they listen to the, the kids do the right or you know, listen to their coaches, put in the hard work and, and do the right things. I think, it's, it's incredible. So, you know, showcasing kind of these guys giving back in the time that they have, you know, they could be off on a boat, they could be doing whatever, but they're donating their time and their efforts to grow the next generation of athletes, both for boys and for girls, because I think the girls game and girls box is just as important. And, and, you know, the, the fact that there's an effort being put in there, I, I love that. So, What's uh, what's next for for NCBS and, and US Boxing yourself? What's what's obviously nationals are now done, but what's the next sort of event on your guys' horizon? Um, you know, I think we're we're looking at different ways that you know, again, talking with Brian, how we can kind of expand on growing the officiating game in, in the US, and and there's other there a couple other ideas that we have with you know some some current lacrosse players, former lacrosse players, and their levels of expertise. Um, nothing's concrete yet, but some really good discussions kind of developing on how we can give added value to some of these athletes and, and not, not only just being an athlete on the floor, but 
you know, their time off of it and just being, becoming better, better people. I think that's the other thing that we, we really want to do is give these kids an opportunity to get as much success as they can. Um, and, and really grow as, as human athletes, forget the student part of it, but just like, you know, just overall people. Uh, before we let you get going and you talked about how important that relationship with is with the national lacrosse league. And I know the NLLs so hung up on, you know, growing the league with expansion and I know they're going to dial it back, but just like, if you look at what Sean Williams did with the desert dogs, you go through the names, there was a handful of Americans and one of the guys, Jack Hanna, a guy that played, um, you know, in that league. How how important is that? That you mentioned there are some other guys, but now not only is it guys that are getting drafted, but now you're going to have a guy that you know is a contributor in the league. I know there's a few others like Trevor Baptiste and whatnot, but just showing that you know if if the league's going to continue to grow and add more teams, it's not going to thrive unless these you get this this buy-in from the Americans, and it it really does all start with you guys. You know, I, I kind of compare it in a way to the USHL and what that was to the OHL. You know, I, I think the USHL came about knowing that they were never going to be the OHL. They were never going to be, you know, some of these, you know, the the Q the Q League, right? Like, yeah. But they, they wanted to be the best at what they could in, in what they were doing. And that was really kind of giving Americans and Canadians, you know, an opportunity to play junior hockey. And, you know, maybe it's not the best level, maybe it's not the top tier, but it's still playing. It's still functioning and and getting kids playing their craft and getting better. And I think that's kind of the model that I want to go with. And and I know that the discussions are there. Like we, we don't care if we're the best in the world or not, you know, but I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised to see the competition because these American kids are getting better and better and better and better every single year. And, you know, maybe there was a huge discrepancy in, in talent five years ago, six years ago, 10 years ago. Now I think that that gap is narrowing and shortening and you're going to start seeing more guys like Jack Hanna, who's in just an absolute stud and a phenomenal pickup. You know, his name was the one that I was waiting to, to hear last year during the draft. Um, I was very excited to see where he was going to end up because he's just ready. Like he's ready to, to be in the NLL. He's going to be an impact player from day one. I, I honestly believe. Um, so as these kind of success stories come about, I think you're going to see more and more kids wanting to do this and more and more kids that are interested in, in doing it. And, you know, the other thing is too, and, and not to detract from, you know, the WLA and, and all these junior leagues in Canada, but, you know, these kids are able to play until they graduate. So if they age out in the OLA or, you know, in the OJ, you know, who's to say a kid that might be from Ontario living in Denver doesn't end up just staying there for a summer and, and playing there, you know, 100%. So, you know, I, I think that part of it too is like when people realize it's a viable option and it's not, you're just kind of like a men's league or something like that. Like this is actually a competitive league with competitive rules and officials, you know, live stream games, marketing, like I think you're going to start seeing more and more people like willing to do this. Yeah, I, I a hundred percent. I, you, you stole the words out of my mouth. I was literally going to say, we're going to see, see a time where, you know, cause that is such an advantage. And I think that's something that you can't, 
really put value on is the fact that these guys can play as long as they can in, in collegiate. So there's maybe a guy that decides to take a summer internship while he's at school and he's still able to play competitive box lacrosse while living at his school. And that Teddy, and I, I bet you years ago when you were at Mercyhurst, you would have never thought that could have even been an no. option. We don't even do a box lacrosse back then. Right? <laughs> yeah, so. Like, yeah, it's an awesome, it's an awesome endeavor. It's an awesome opportunity for so many young kids. Um, I, I've been, you know, helping out with us box since the early days. I remember going down to the first nationals, um, way back when, and just to see the amount of kids that were there now. And, you know, one of those kids was Moose Winery, yep. right? And, and now he's an NLL draft pick and a guy that is getting tons of exposure and tons of experience, but it just started with a kid who wanted to try the game and got involved and, and through the right channels and the right programs with us Boxa has gotten him to the ultimate goal of, you know, being in the NLL. And for all these kids, that is the goal. So, Chuck, I know you're going to do an amazing job, my man. This has been uh, an incredible conversation. I know we'll do it again uh, down the road when you guys get into more of your season. But uh, best of luck. Enjoy California. Um, the Nighthawks are obviously doing a lot of great things. Nighthawks. The, the Thunderbirds are obviously doing a lot of great things out fine. there. Um, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> huge fine. Um, but Excellent. congratulations and uh, best of luck, my man. Thanks for the time. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, so that's Charlie Ragusa, um, one of our favorite people to talk to in lacrosse, just has a passion for the game, and we both know that he's going to do incredible things in that role as commissioner of the NCBS. But when you look at what, as a whole, U.S. Boxla has done for the game of box lacrosse in the United States, it is remarkable. Like I said, I remember the first time Shaden Santos brought you know, the U.S. box Cali Lax All-Stars up to the Trevor Wingrove tournament, I don't know, maybe almost a decade ago. And these kids had never played high-level box before. Moose Winery was on that team. And I think he faced like 80 shots in a game against Coquitlam. And he absolutely loved every minute of it. And those kids reveled in that experience. And ever since then, those kids, sort of the pioneers of the U.S. boxer program, have gone on to win gold at that Wingrove tournament, have gone on to win gold at Canada Day tournaments in Calgary, have gone on to win and sweep golds at the U.S. Boxla Nationals. It is just incredible to see the amount of young boys and girls, men and women, that are playing the box game now all across the United States and not just in your traditional hotbeds. It is a proven formula that is now starting to see results as we talked about when we went over some of those draft picks by the Las Vegas desert dogs and some of the names we're seeing in NLL drafts and on NLL rosters, there are going to be a wave of American players coming in that aren't just pure field players that have been playing box across since they were 12 years old. And they are going to be the next great American players. And I cannot wait for it. It is something that has needed to be addressed and it is being addressed and it is being now finally seen that if the NLL wants to expand, and I mentioned it when we were talking to Charlie, we need more American players yeah. playing box cross. And yes, the supreme talents like 
Charlie Bertrand or, you know, Tom Schreiber. Those guys are so good that they can just step onto the turf and they're going to be good at it. Not everyone's going to be like that. Like there are going to have to be some of these great players that are great, that are going to need to have growing pains, but why not have them have those growing pains playing with their buddies, their best Mm -hmm. friends, the guys that they play field with, why not do it while they're younger? And so they don't have to worry about, like Chuck said, you know, guys being afraid to to suck because it might hurt their brand. And I understand, like, I get it. Does a guy who plays in the PLL who lights it up, really want to go and play and have to learn and maybe not look as good as he does in the field game. I don't blame them. Like I really don't blame them. So how could that be avoided playing by your younger and not all these players had the opportunity. Tom Schreiber didn't have the opportunity. A guy like Connor Fields. Yeah, he did because he lived 25 minutes across the board. His dad also has Canadian citizenship. There's different opportunities that, you know, some of these guys could have gone. Now there is no excuse. All these hotbeds have box across right at their fingertips. And it's guys like Shaden Santos and Charlie Ragusa, Dallas Elliott that are going to take the development of box across to the next level and take it to places that it's never been before. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm super excited about. Um, It's not, it's, and it's just not, sorry, Ted, it's not just, you know, camps and, you know, a couple of tournaments here or there. Yeah, it's exactly. when they finally get to that elite level, it's competition playing against other elite competition and having guys like Mac O'Keefe, not having to hit for him to spend a summer in Orangeville. That's great for your development. And I'm not saying Americans shouldn't be looking for those, but now they have an option where they're away from their family and their girlfriends and their buddies all year long now they have an opportunity to go still enjoy be at home maybe work um have an internship and still play box across and not have to sacrifice some of that things all year long to 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 chase their dream the pll have their all-star game over the weekend between weeks five and week six um team baptiste versus team thor uh team milkman whatever you would like (laughs) to call them um I don't all-star games are always tough, especially in sports where there's offense and defense, you know, like baseball is a little different because it's not as back and forth because, you know, it's baseball's three outs. It takes a little longer. There's no real contact and hitting and all that stuff. Hockey all-star games are tough. Lacrosse all-star games are equally, if not as more tough, but you know, the PLL does a great job of exploring their brand and trying to continue to keep things enjoyable and entertaining for their fans. So I thought they did a really good job. Obviously, the trick shots are just, they are what they are. Miles Jones or Jared Newman shooting 118 is awesome to see. But I think the all-star game is probably a little more feasible with the PLL and how they run their league being a travel-based league. Do you ever think the NLL will bring it back? I I think it's difficult. You mentioned because like, you know, the games like hockey and football are such a physical sport and box crosses in that same realm. So it's hard to, to, to have those 
all-star games, but you could do a skills. I I don't know, because at the end of the day, and this kind of goes to the same thing with the sixes. And I think it was Tino Farah who, who mentioned it on lax class this week. Like the all-star games, not for me and you, it's not for us. Like the, the hardcore lacrosse fans, it's for the young kids and, you know, corporate sponsors for them to be able to, you know, you know, the NL to bring out a sponsor and give them a box and they can see, you know, shake some players hands and kind of those, those things, right. It's it's more of a celebration. It's also for the, for, for the, for the guys to have a, you know, go to a cool city and hang out with guys that, that, that they don't see all year long. And it's not just about, okay. Like, yeah. Is the game, is an NL all-star game going to be as entertaining as an intense as a regular season game? No. Absolutely not. But if if it's a way to help grow the game and, you know, put some more cash in the pockets of these teams and the league, then, like, why not? Why wouldn't you at least explore yeah. the opportunity to try it? The, the one thing that will always sort of not hurt, but they would have to find a weekend for it to be like a buy for everybody and have like an all-star break. And then you have to be able to fly everybody in. And that's always an issue because that's just a lot of money being forked out, whether it's by the players or by the teams or by the host city, whatever it may be. They've done it before. They've had some success in different markets. You know, the Colorado year was pretty good. You know, they had one in Buffalo. It was okay. They had one in Edmonton They had or Calgary. It was okay. It's just, it's, it's very hit and miss. And I think they, if they don't make a true bye weekend, then you're, you know, you got guys playing Friday night, then they got to fly out the next day to get to the game in time and they're tired and they're sore and they don't really want to play. So if they can find a weekend to have like a full all-star break, then maybe it can be done. But until that point, I, I don't see them ever doing it because it's just a logistical nightmare to make it happen. So it- I mean, and then, I mean, that that's a that's a, obviously something that I wasn't exactly even thinking of. And that's something that the league probably has and yeah. will continue to do is do the pros outweigh all the cons and the logistical nightmare. Maybe it's a it's a thing. And I've heard rumblings of this before. Um, take it with a grain of salt. But there was talk of maybe having an all star game in the summer. Yeah. Um, you know Whenever. who that would upset? <laughs> the CLA. It certainly would. Is that probably a non-sanctioned CLA event? That would that that <laughs> certainly would. Well, technically, it would probably upset the PLL as well because that's yeah. a uh, yeah. that's, that's a non-PLL sanctioned event. Too. Yeah. So. So, so many logistical nightmares, but I, I <laughs> cancel think it, be, cancel it. It's, it, yeah, it's, over. Game, it's not, not happening. happening. It's not happening. <laughs> um, but what does happen, what we will still continue to do is try to win you some money. And it is week six in the PLL. Time now for box bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, Patty, time now for box bets week six. Um, as it stands, the Atlas and Chrome sit at the top of the standings at four and one, along with the Whip Snakes. Archers at three and two, the Water Dogs two and three, and then the Redwoods, Cannons, and Chaos 
all sit at one and four, but we are going to try and avoid all those statistical numbers and just focus on the odds and bring you three bets to try to win some money. You mentioned numbers and, and, and odds. Yeah. We're going to look at the odds here, but this one is a, this is maybe a little bit of a gut parlay for us. Mm-hmm. Because we'll start with the one game, the first game. Everyone knows, and I don't have the data to back this up, but does it not feel like this is the time every single year that the chaos start to turn into the chaos again? Yep. They well, got they've got the boys a, back. They got their swagger back. They got Andy their guys Tower back. Andy Tower's are electric every week. <laughs> oh, my God. What Even if there's a dog barking instead of the bleeping sound. <laughs> so... I think, and yes, this is a tough spot. They're playing the whip snakes. But for me, this seems like it is a game. Every time these two guys, these two teams play, it's a close game. So we don't even need the chaos. We do not need them to win. We just need them to keep it within one goal. So we're taking the chaos plus one and a half. We're also going with the Atlas minus two and a half against the Redwoods who just cannot figure things out. And we're riding the hot hand. That is Jeff Teat and this Atlas team. They're a wagon. They're good. Uh, two and a half goals is a lot, but we're trusting them. Yep. And this number here, 23 and a half, it seems like a lot, but it's the archers. They can it's score. The, they can score. It's the cannons. They I know can we don't know what the health is of Lyle. They can score, but you know what else they haven't been able to do is keep the ball out of the net. (laughs) So 23 and a half seems like a lot of goals, but for these two teams, I think this has overwritten all over it. So you mash those all together. The fine folks at cool bet have given us a parlay exclusive at cool bet at plus six 20. Love that. So if you want for the weekend, getting ready for the August long weekend up here in Canada or in BC. So if you want to get some booze money, why not visit coolbet.com and uh, see what you can do. Hit that cool bet specials tab and you'll find that parlay there and you'll find other specials as well. That other podcast that's on our network. Yeah, they've got a They've got a parlay going as well. And a couple of other partners that cool bet works with maybe take a look at them maybe sprinkle on their parlays too and of course it's not the busiest time of year for betting let's be honest yeah so is this not the perfect time to to hop on cool bet and start betting some lacrosse i think that why not why the heck not um have you recovered from rory's heartbreak on sunday Oh God, just <laughs> like just yesterday. I think I'm finally over. And the thing, and T- Teddy, like this, oh. this, the thing that, that sucks so much. And for me is obvious. It's, it's obviously well-documented. I love Rory. I've loved mm-hmm. Rory for a long time. He's, he's been my guy, Yeah, but I love Cam Smith. Like he is one of my favorite guys on tour and I couldn't even enjoy it. Like I, I, <laughs> 
I couldn't enjoy it. I could not enjoy it because I was so crushed for Rory. And I've got a group chat with a couple of my buddies who uh, they're big golf fans as well. And they're huge Rory guys. Yeah. Um, I was born for Rory's for sure. You have to. And we, we have our Rory apologist group and, (laughs) but ever after every single round, round one, we're like, okay, this is good. This is great. Round two. Okay. This is really good, but we know what's going to happen. Round three. We're like, Oh, we are like, we know we're in for heartbreak now. Yeah. We just need to decide who is going to break our heart. And I literally said, I have a bet on Victor Hovland and Cam Smith is one of my favorite guys on tour. Yeah. I said, please, you two do not be one of the guys that betray me. And sure as shit, (laughs) Hovland starts shitting the bed. I'm like, perfect. It's not going to be Vic. And then Cam Smith just decides to have one of the best, most uh, clutch putting performances ever. And I couldn't even enjoy it. Uh, I was watching. And now we might on. be going to the live. And now, now I might I actually have to hate him. Yeah, I know. Like, what the hell? Uh, unbelievable. We were watching on the ferry heading over to the mainland. And I just couldn't, like, he just, he couldn't, Rory couldn't make a putt the whole no. round. No, and like everything was like same. right on the lip and like right on the edge. You're just like, oh, he, he he's bound to make one. He can't go 18 holes without making a putt outside five feet. You're like, okay, this is going to be the one. Okay, Cameron Smith, he's 17. He's got to putt around the bunker. Like, okay, he's going to leave it in the bunker. Like, he's going to do something stupid. Nope, doesn't. Rory can't. And it's just heartbreak city again for one of the most well-liked guys on tour. And uh, the thing also with him, obviously, no doubt, well-liked, but he has been, like, the poster boy for, like, loyalty to the the PGA Tour, and, like, he's been so vocal about how he's against the live, and, like, it would have been such a great moment for the PGA for their guy to, like, go out there and win, and then uh, he just... And he yeah. didn't even, it's not even like he crumbled because no, like, he, he didn't play terrible. No. It's just, he couldn't make a putt and it's not he like he it. was a coward and you know, he <laughs> wasn't taking risks. Like everything was going well for him except for his, his putting. Like yeah. it was nuts. It was a wild, wild weekend. So head over to coolbeck.com, place your bets, enjoy the fun. And as always stay cool. Bet responsibly. Um, still no official date for the NLL draft. Uh, as always, it's generally sometime in September, but uh, nothing officially announced. But we do know NLL free agency will start Monday, August 1st. So next week, we will do a deep dive into who's available and who might be headed where. And maybe have some bold predictions, some hot takes, as it were. Um, what do you got else go- got going on? When's your next game? You got to call. Don't know as of right now, just due to the fact that we don't know who is advancing with either Oakville or Orangeville. But I do know um, Friday, Friday night has been announced game one for Whitby versus one of those teams. Mm -hmm. And then also Saturday night, uh, Beaches, Burlington. But the thing that, and this is this is something that obviously it's it's out of 
out of the league's hand and it's uh, sometimes even out of these teams hands it's just banana lands that in the year 2022 two of these arenas don't have the <laughs> proper hardwiring internet so there's a good chance that beach burlington none of those games uh could wow. be streamed unless something something happens here with you know bringing in internet which is obviously a possibility like it's yeah. been done before it's, uh, it's just it's not cheap and there's also um i guess it's out now um ted Riverina, the historic barn in the beach the sandbox yeah uh they're putting their ice in early this year <laughs> classic so the beach are having the most successful season that they've had in years arguably you know if they win this round here it could be their most successful season um since they turned junior a in 91 but the city of toronto said they're they're getting kicked out of their own barn they were nine and one at home this year so they're getting kicked out of their barn as of right now their schedule does say leaside arena which is you know, in the neighborhood, it's a little bit further, uh, yeah. but there've been rumblings that maybe they might go to an, another arena. Um, I'll just say Brampton Memorial center has been discussed. So if that's the case, there's internet there. We'll be able to stream some games from there. Uh, but the good thing, Whitby, they stream Oakville streams, Orangeville streams. So um, you might be seeing a lot of, uh, of two of those teams, two of the three teams there, but who knows? Not going to complain. I guess we're waiting. No, wait and see. Um, that's this week's show. Thanks to Charlie Regusa for stopping by again. You can follow NCBS on Twitter and social. Keep up to date if you have any questions. Charlie Regusa's emails and DMs are always open, and he loves when you slide into him. Uh, he is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on Twitter at pgreggy. I'm on Twitter at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast or on the Instas at OTCB podcast. Lots of games in everyone's neighborhood across the country as we move toward national championship season. So make sure you get out and support your local team and your local future NLLs. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.